Questions? Comments? Disputations? Right. So the, the first part of your question, how did Jesus hang around tax collectors and sinners while being holy? Um, I'm thinking the fact that he was among them didn't make him unclean because uncleanness originates from within, right? So he wasn't a fornicator. He wasn't a drunkard. He, wa he, he hung around them. He wasn't bothered by it, and that's why I made the distinction of saying, in many of our churches, holiness has come to mean sanctimoniousness. <gasps> I can't be near you. I, I might be tainted if I'm around you. Or people might think that I'm like you. Well, Jesus didn't worry that they thought he was like them. He mingled with them. But he, didn't, he also didn't fall into it. And I think... You know, many times Christians say, well, you know, I'm going to go out and witness to the unsaved. I'm going to hang around in bars and drink with them and show them the way of the Lord. How's that working for you? Does that mean you can't drink at all in that setting? No, but I would say you better make sure you're well back from the line of even being tipsy. You know, a beer a night, no one's going to get too bothered by that. But when it starts to be three or four, that might start to be a problem. So we don't, we don't draw back from the unsaved. We don't draw back from mingling with them and being among them, but we certainly don't adopt the attitudes, the mores, the, uh, all of the things that go with the unsaved lifestyle. We try to reflect to them something that is more noble and dignified because we are carrying the presence of God. Now, as worship leaders, what the challenge becomes is to find ways maybe to write songs that summon people into that level of holiness and devotion to God because we're worshiping Him in the splendor of His holiness and in that we are becoming like Him. I think a lot of the worship that has you know, come out over the last probably 35 years or so has not always been strong on that dimension of how we are transformed and changed because the holiness of God is transforming us. You know, there's a really interesting uh, scripture in the book of Ezekiel, and I've got it written down here in the back. I think it's Ezekiel 36, but let me find it. Uh, that kind of speaks to this. Of course, now I won't be able to find it. Yeah, good. Hold on. Oh, sorry, not Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 44.19 and Ezekiel 46.20. So let's take a look at those real quickly. Ezekiel 44.19, it says, this is speaking of the priests, when they go out into the outer court of the people, well, what's the outer court? That's the unsanctified area, right? They shall put off the garments in which they have been ministering. So the priestly garments have to be taken off when the priests leave the inner court and go to the outer court. And they are going to lay them in the holy chambers, and they shall put on other garments, lest they transmit holiness to the people with their garments. And of course, if the people aren't ready to receive the holiness, then that becomes punishable by death. So this is the mercy of God being shown in this 
thing that the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel the prophet. And then he goes on with some other things that are laid upon them. Ezekiel 46.20, kind of in similar theme, says this. And he said to me, this is the place where the priest shall boil the guilt offering and the sin offering and where they shall bake the grain offering in order not to bring them out into the outer court and so transmit holiness to the people. So the point is, there's something about the holiness of God that is, it's like the best way I can describe it, and I don't know if this is, someone might object to this, but God's unlike anything else in the universe, so everything is going to be a, a weak analogy. But I, I view it as kind of like radioactivity. You know, if you, if, you brought a piece of, uh, if you brought a piece of plutonium this big into this room and set it right there like that, this entire room would be contaminated with radiation and alpha radiation. It, I mean, you'd be uninhabitable. You couldn't, you couldn't be in here. Because it's, that, it's the most toxic element on earth. That's what plutonium is. There's a whole book about this that I read one time. And it's called Plutonium, the Most Dangerous Element on Earth. But that's the nature of radioactivity. And when you, you know, if, if this were plutonium, and you wouldn't even need to set it on here, you just were holding it here, or put it back there on that coffee table, or set it there like that, this entire stand would become radioactive, it would become unusable, it would be suffused with the radiation. Holiness has a way about it that way. But the, the problem is that unless you're sanctified by blood, you can't accept holiness. It will destroy you. Remember the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark? You know, they open up the, the ark and yeah, they melt away because they're not ready to receive that. So that's the way we think about it. So the challenge for a worship leader, and like I say, I think we need some new worship songs that reflect some of this. We need the presence of God to come and demonstrate it, but we need words to help us articulate and understand this too. The challenge for a worship leader is to bring the people of God many times, who are many times coming into whether it's a you know, midweek service or Sunday morning, they're coming in, they're outer court people. All week long, they've been cussing and drinking and watching pornography and doing all this stuff, and they're coming into this thing and they, they think they're going to contact God. Well, you know, we got a little bit of business we need to take care of here first. And not only that, we want those people to understand that the way they're living is not the way God meant for them to live. God actually intended that they live higher. He, he paid a price which was the price of His Son's life in order that they could actually take on the holiness of God and begin to live and carry that too. Worship God in the splendor, the beauty of the holiness that He gives us. Who was the other? Someone else had a question. Because I heard two voices that came right at the same moment. All right, we'll let you ask. Well, it's not the only time in history, i.e. in the last 50 years, um, that that dynamic has been in play. 
You know, we see it with Miriam and Moses. We see it with the two sons of Eli. We see it with the two sons of Samuel. We see it with Uzziah, the king. In fact, Isaiah is the one who has the most profound revelation of the holiness of God. He says in chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I went into the temple to pray, and while I was in the temple, my eyes were opened and I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of His, temp of his glory filled the entire temple, and the foundations of the temple shook. And I saw angels flying. And they said one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And as I saw this, I said, Woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. Meaning, he might have been a prophet, but he probably told a few dirty jokes, cussed, slandered, libeled, all those things that flow out of the mouth, right? I am a man of unclean lips and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips and yet I have seen the Lord. And then came one of the cherubim bearing a coal in tongs taken from the, from the altar. And as he approached me, you know, I backed up saying, No! 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 Because the coal was coming at his lips to cleanse that which was unclean. And then the cherubim said, See, your sin is taken away. Now you can go out and do this thing. So there are ample biblical precedents of people who are engaging in sin and somehow the grace of God comes through. But the question that goes unanswered is, if you didn't have all of that sin in the life of a particular vessel, How much more would the power of God, would the glory of God, would the Word of God, you know, these things that we're talking about, the name of God, the works of God, how much more would those things come forth unadulterated and cause transformation in our, in our lives and in our societies? Because whereas it's supposed to be operating at, you know, arbitrarily that level, it's down here because of that sin. And so it's, it, you know, the glory is leaking through. Or to use my radioactivity example, everything's lead encased, but there's so much radiation, the lead isn't thick enough, it's pouring through a little bit. And so we see those moments where the glory breaks through. The splendor of holiness breaks through, but I think there's a higher level that the Lord would like to see reflected among His people. And, you know, He's been waiting 2,000 years. Now, we have to be careful when talking about all this because this can rapidly turn into legalism and we don't want legalism. But we also, I think, I mean, I've been in the vineyard since like four years after it started. And so I know this movement in particular really well. And I've been studying some of the other movements that are out there right now, the new mystics, the, you know, the Bethel stream. I've, you know, I, I know a lot of the leaders of these movements and I, you know, I, interact with them and I, I usually don't say very much because you know once you say it it's out there and it's hard to take it back and not only that it's better to be really sure before you open your mouth and some of this stuff I'm still kind of weighing in my own mind and trying to use scripture as a plumb line but I, I might just say that you know at least with respect to the vineyard 
I would say that for most of its history, holiness has not been a highly prized value. I don't think that's an overstatement. I don't think it's unfair. It might not be easy to hear, but I don't think it's unfair. And so as a consequence, I think about what the vineyard fell into, particularly in the years after John's death. And I can't help but ask the question, what if? Because these things that I've been pointing out, they're clearly in the Scripture. We just don't emphasize them in our preaching, in our worship leading, in our teaching, in our catechesis. We, know we, just, don't, we just don't take people there. But if we would, I wonder. And I think there is, there has to be a way. I, I'm not saying that you know, it's, it's easy as one, two, three, although it might be easier than some think. I think there, there has to be a way for us to live in holiness and not become self-righteous and sanctimonious. And it's that one that we need to find. And part of that is through our worship. I think there's a, there's a roaring of the Holy Spirit that gets into from the moment we say, I guess, that, that leads us into a um, relationship with Jesus and the Son that brings about that I don't want to stay here. Hmm. Um, I want to know more of the character of God and the more I know about the character of God the more he reveals to me about my sin and about dealing with it. Right. And it's 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 like he draws I feel like in my life I guess he draws me closer and it's like you want to get rid of this stuff so you can be drawn closer. I don't right. know that sort of yeah. it's not that but methodical but that's yeah. And it's like these these things aren't laws so much. They're relational drawing. The law is relational drawing to say, you know, you don't need to go out and get drunk, you know. You don't need to, to drink, you know. I'm relationally drawing you closer to me. And it's like what Enoch, you know. It's like that's right. satisfied with God and God alone. Um, and, and that's, I guess, the yeah. Yep. There's also something in all of that where the Lord may speak to us and say, this might appear to you to be okay, but it's actually not okay with me. And it, it, it could be very particular. It's not okay with me for you, but it's okay for Him. Or it might be, it's not okay for you. But there, you know, in that discerning the voice of God, you know, we hear this. There's so many areas that we take as of no consequence that are cavalier uh, in the church today. You know, it's easy to rattle off drunkenness and sleeping around and, you know, well, okay, fine, great. But, you know, the, the things that, that we tend to let go by and not even think about is when we give our word on something and then we violate that word and don't even... We don't even realize that we violated our word, let alone go and apologize for having done it. But Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything that isn't that comes from the evil one, which is a, to use the language we use in the vineyard, is a way of saying, if you, if you can't hold with integrity to your word, you're demonized. That means there's a dominion of Satan in your heart. That means there's definitely not holiness in that area. But that's a matter of the tongue. 
how often do you hear anyone even talk about things like that? So, the splendor of the holiness of God is that it is beautiful to behold the things about God that are unlike anything else in the world, that He is, in this example, truthful, and unwaveringly so. And that's, by the way, part of why we have difficulty trusting Him. Because He gives us a word and we go, I, I don't know, God. I, I know I'm supposed to trust You. I want to trust You. I, I, I believe what You say, kind of, sort of. But nobody else I know really keeps their word. And that, one, that, that, that one's a stretch for me. I, so I don't know if you can keep your word on that one. And so I'm, I'm actually treating you like you're you know, Trent or Neil or Kate or Ken or Graham, or Rachel. Because as good as all of us are, we aren't holy. And so we treat God like that, and in so doing we diminish the greatness of who He is. So I think as worship leaders we somehow have to capture that. It's a big job, I know, but you've got a year to work on it till I come back again. This is what we have to try and capture as part of our worship leading. It's not simply the declaration of these things, even though there is power in that and it is true. It's, it's also that it somehow gets worked into the, you know, the fabric of our congregations and this becomes the nature of how we live. Be holy as I am holy. And You are absolutely right on the money, and in fact, I'm going to talk about that in the night message tonight. Um, when I talk, uh, not so much from to a worship leading context, but just in general, the the splendor of holiness or the splendor of His glory. Um, and I, one of the verses that I have in that message is the one in First uh, Peter, where Peter says, "You are to shine like stars in the heaven." They become brighter as the darkness gets greater, is really what he's saying. So the holiness of God reflected through the lives of the people should stand out starkly in the midst of our societies. And, you know, from time to time, we should have those moments of truth where we realize I'm either not making it or I am. You know, I remember some years ago, I went out to lunch with a woman that I worked with, uh, you know, in, in the company that I was with. And, uh, you know, we were sitting there talking, and she was telling me about the trials and tribulations of being a single woman dating in Los Angeles. And I said, well, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, there are answers to the problems that you're having. They look like this, this, and this. I didn't even tell her these are God's answers or this is in the Bible. I was getting there, but I hadn't gotten to that yet. I was just trying to give her a little bit spoon feeder and just see how she received what I was telling her. And, you know, we're sitting there talking, and she stops in the middle of the conversation, and she looks at me and she goes, do you realize how unlike every other man I've ever met in my life you are? And I said, no, not particularly. And she goes, I thought we were going to lunch because you were going to hit on me. 
I said, well, I'm married. She goes, what does that have to do with anything? This is Los Angeles. So I was shining like a star in the heavens, not even really realizing I was doing it. And, you know, that is the very nature of what Christians should be. And that's why I said, we are called to be holy. Yeah, we should be out among them, like Jesus at Matthew's party. Absolutely. But we are called to live a life that is so distinct and separate that in the midst of it all, they kind of look at it and they go, man, you ain't like we are. You ain't from around these parts, stranger. Because that holiness is unlike anything they know. So that's really where we want to get to. I agree with what you're saying. You've hit it right on the head. Right. Thirty years ago, forty years ago, fifty years ago, your country and my country would have been similar in this respect. Well, we have many similarities even today, but in this respect, Christianity was kind of a it was a given. Not that everybody was a Christian. That would be a big mistake to say that. But there was a veneer of Christian values and assumptions that suffused both societies so that a Christian kind of blended in pretty well, like a chameleon, right? You, if, you were, if you were being a Christian, there was an understanding about certain things that you didn't do them. Um, and because Christians didn't do them, they looked like the society around them because then no one else did them either, not really. And if people did do them, it was like, <gasps> right? That, now it was really a shocker. And, and that would be why, you know, tabloid television and tabloid newspapers came about because people wanted to talk about these shocking things and go into all that. Well, over time, as that was played up more and more, the lurid nature of the, of the things that people were doing became more and more evident. And as people began walking away from the church, instead of the Christians and the society being, I wouldn't say they were on par, but they're sort of in the same zone, what's happened is the society has dropped away and the Christians... Well, they've probably come down too, but not as fast. And so now you've got this distinction and people look at it and they go, ah, oh, you're a religious fanatic. I can tell. I know you're a religious fanatic. And you know, they had this in the Reformation. During the Reformation, the Anabaptists came up. They were the ones that ultimately became the Baptists and the Mennonites and some of these other denominations. So you had the Catholics and you had what they called the magisterial reformers who were the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and people of this sort. And so what the, what the police would do is they would go down the streets at night and they would listen. And if you heard a house where there was blasphemy and breaking glass and children screaming and women screaming and, you know, no, don't, no, don't stop, they'd say, okay, they're fine. But when they'd come to a house where there was peace or maybe there was singing going on, they'd go, ah, we know those are Christians because they don't look like the rest of them and they'd haul them off and arrest them 
And more often than not, those people would be put to death because they weren't with the Catholics and they weren't with the magisterial reformers. Meanwhile, the Catholics and the Lutherans and the Presbyterians kept beating their children and cursing and drinking and raping and all the things that go on in a you know, typical unsaved home even today. And that's how they picked them out. So what you're seeing is, as it was half a millennium ago, so it is now, and this is why we are called to shine like stars in the heaven. This is why we need to summon the people of God to live higher. Because it can be done with the power of the Spirit. On its own, not a chance. Because the flesh is corrupt. But with the indwelling Spirit, absolutely. We were supposed to end at 5, and we've gone over. So I'm going to end it now. Um, but I would like to pray a prayer over the, over the group of you that are worship leaders. Because I believe that the Lord really does want to transmit something of this passion for His splendor and something of His passion for His own holiness into the worship-leading community so that as you stand up, that just like it talked about in those two passages I read out of Ezekiel, that holiness can be transmitted, that it be transmitted into you with the objective that hopefully it gets transmitted ultimately into the people. Does that make sense? Sound good? Let's all stand up.